James 1, 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of, of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh, for uh, Hosanna and May for reading today. Thank you, Pandela, very much. This is on here for a reason. We're talking about adulting today. Thank you, Brian, very much. For all those joining in online, thank you so much for tuning in, beginning a new series today called Adulting. What, who, who knows what adulting means? Anybody ever heard that term before? All right, about 10 of you in the room know what adulting is. I anticipated this, so I went ahead and looked up uh, on online in, to get a definition of what adulting is. And so here it is. Here it is. It says this. Here's the definition. Urban Dictionary. <laughs> to do grown-up things and hold responsibilities, such as a 9-to-5 job, take out the trash, clean the house, pay the mortgage, rent, or a car. Okay? Now, they, they put it in a sentence for us, just so we would uh, be clear what is adulting. So here it is. Here's used in a sentence. So-and-so is adulting so well today. They're on time for work, and they're well-groomed. All right. All right. We, we need adults. We need our parents to act like adults, don't we? Anybody want your parents to act like adults? Don't say it if they're not acting like adults, but right? We want, we want our neighbors. We want our boss. We want people to act like... We want the person flying the plane and driving the train to act like an adult, don't we? But sometimes, isn't it great to act like a kid again? Right? Sometimes, isn't it great to hit the snooze button? Isn't it great to let the trash just pile up? Isn't it great to binge watch Netflix? Is anybody, is that, is that okay to do every now and then, right? It's okay. It's okay to be a kid again. So what we did recently, we had a couple months ago, actually, uh, the staff, we did this all day long calendar meeting, and we let the millennials on our staff decide what we were going to do for lunch. Like, it's your deal. Whatever you want, we're, we're going to do it, okay? And so they said, we're going to walk down to Bluemont Park, all right, which is really close to our office, and we're going to have a cookout down there. So, okay, so we walked down. I haven't been to Bluemont Park. It's here, and I haven't been there since the eighth grade. When I sold Johnny Middleton, uh, I was in eighth grade here, and I sold Johnny, my buddy, a skateboard. It was his birthday party, and his dad was going to buy it from me at that park. And so we went there, and there's this really cool hill. You're going to see it in just a second. And so our youth pastor showed up with this. Did anybody ever have a big wheel? It doesn't look like anything like the big wheel you used to have. Okay, it was all plastic. This thing, this, there's no, there's hardly any plastic on it. I mean, this is a serious piece of equipment. It also doesn't cost twenty bucks. You know, you know what I'm saying? This, this is a, this is a toy for a big kid. All right, they just call it, right. This is, this is incredible. And so he had that, and I couldn't help myself. So we shot a little video. Uh, we'll show you. That, that video doesn't do it just. I was going like 100 miles an hour. You know, it's just, just flying, flying. It was a very immature thing to do, right? Because I could have flipped over and busted my head open. We would have had all kinds of problems. But it felt awesome for the moment, right? Doesn't it feel great to be a kid again? It does. But 
you know, that's okay temporarily. But eventually, somebody's got to pay the bills and somebody's got to make the trains run on time. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So this whole series is about adulting and, and growing up. We need adults. We need moms and dads and men and women and neighbors and bosses to, to, to act like an adult, teachers and leaders, right, to, to grow up and be adult. Now, the book of James, which we're going to study for the next seven weeks, is all about spiritual adulting. Uh, it's all about growing up spiritually. James tells us that right in the beginning, verse number four, uh, Hosanna and May just read this just seconds ago, right? It's it. So that, so that what? Right in the beginning, so that so you can be mature. So this entire book is all about spiritual adulting. So uh, being a spiritual adult and growing up. Who is James? Well, James is the brother of Jesus. And James was a very firm non-believer in Jesus. Very firm. I've got a couple of scriptures there for you. Mark chapter 3 says, When his family heard about this, we're talking about Jesus, and who is his family? Well, James is his brother, right? Heard about this. They went to take charge of Jesus. They said, He is what? He is out of his mind. He's a very firm non-believer in Jesus Christ. John gives us this window in to James. He says, Even his own brothers did not believe in him. So you say, Okay. He wrote this book, and he eventually becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. How did he go from that, he's out of his mind, I don't believe in you, to, to where he is now? The resurrection. That's what happened. It wasn't like he heard Jesus teach one day and said, Oh my gosh, brother, you're such an awesome teacher. Those are such cool things. None of that did anything for him. He heard him teach a lot, it was great, all that stuff. But when the resurrection took place... That flipped everything around for everybody, including James. So I want you to think about this. He's pastoring the church in Jerusalem. That was the place the real Christians went. You, you follow? You know what I'm saying? The flavor of what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that is the church. That's where and he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He draws more on the teachings of Jesus than any other book in the Bible. Right? Especially the Sermon on the Mount. There are so, there's about 20 different references to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' greatest you know, the longest sermon that we have of Jesus. It's, it's, it's a sermon that has been talked about so much throughout history. So many people have come, so many volumes of it. It's a very powerful, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? And he, he does that. He uses that a lot, Jesus' teachings, in more than any other book in the Bible, right? He, he is intensely practical. Sometimes people say, hey, look, you know, I go to church, I read the Bible, and it just feels like so, I don't get it, it's abstract or whatever. Not James. He's the perfect antidote to all that. He is very... So what's getting ready to happen is we go through the seven weeks. It's like, oh, I get it. It's going to be... For in some cases, we might say, that's a little bit too relevant. You know what I'm saying? Because it's going to hit home so much. He's intensely proud. He's very direct. He uses a high frequency of imperative verbs. So he's, boom, he's right on the action. And what is he talking about? It's about what does it look like for a person to have strong faith? Like practically speaking, on the ground, what does it look like for a person to have strong faith? Or if a person's life's been affected by Jesus Christ, like they've, they've, had this, they've had the seed that we talked about in the last series, like planted in their hearts, they've had this salvation, this born-again experience. Practically speaking, how does it affect their life? This is what he tells us in the book of James. He just spells it right out there. Okay, three things I want to cover at the beginning to help us put this Right, and the right framework as we move forward. Number one, who is he writing to? It's really important. He is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians that were in his church in Jerusalem and who are no longer in his church in Jerusalem because they've been scattered all over the place. I'll get to that in a second. But he's right, his target audience is, you know, sometimes like, oh, okay, 
You know, who, who are you talking to here? Are you, are you talking to people who are non-believers outside the church? No, no, this, this whole book is written to people inside the church. Please keep that in mind, number one, who? Number two, why? Why is he writing? He's writing to challenge those people, those Christians, to spiritually mature. So very important. Who and why? How do you mature? Well, he tells us the testing of your faith. Right? Your faith is going to be tested. We're going to test your faith and as a result of that. So in verse number one, James says this, you've been scattered. This is a really important point, okay? They've been scattered all over the place. So persecution broke out in Acts chapter 6. Jesus Christ had said to the disciples, hey, look, uh, I want you to go. And what did they do? They stayed. They didn't go. They stayed. They, they did hu the human nature thing, which we all do. Instead of going, they stayed. They were great at staying. They weren't great at going. But Jesus said, go. I want you to go. I want you to get out and move out into other cultures. And so everything had been great. They'd been in Jerusalem. They'd stayed in Jerusalem. And now they're scattered everywhere. And so he's writing them because they're going through a very difficult time. This was culture shock for them. You ever been culture shocked before? They're experiencing culture shock here in a big way. And this is what is testing their faith major league way. All right. They had been in Jerusalem. They're very comfortable in Jerusalem. Well, but John, wait a minute, John, I thought that Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem and I thought that persecution. Yes, yes, true, but true, but they were Jewish and Jerusalem was Jewish Mecca. And so they had great agreement with everybody that was around them. So if they were in the church, of course they had total agreement, right? But even outside the church, like you believe in one God. Oh, we believe in one God. You believe in the, oh, we believe in the Ten Commandments. You believe this is the Word of God. Oh, we believe it's the Word of God. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Their values, their beliefs, their behaviors were similar inside and outside the church. It was like being in a Christian hot tub, okay? <laughs> it just was. They were just nice. It's warm. It's, ah, this is, this is good. But Jesus said, go. And they didn't go. And now all of a sudden they're scattered and they're experiencing culture shock. It's uncomfortable. There's chaos breaking out on their faith. Because like, how do we apply this in a world that's shocking our culture? I was just reading this past week a book called Anti-Fragile. Some of you might have heard of it, Anti-Fragile. There's a line in it that's really, really good. Tranquility leads to fragility. Tranquility leads to fragility. So if they stayed in the hot tub, like everything's nice and right in our culture, eventually their faith was going to become very, very weak. And the way for their faith to become strong, to become mature, for them to become spiritual, adulted people, was for them to experience some testing, some chaos, some difficulty, some stress, right? So they're experiencing a different culture, different races, different religions, different behaviors, different politics. They weren't experiencing that back in the hot tub, okay? What is happening here is somebody's just taking a bunch of ice and poured it inside their hot tub, and it was freaking them out. Now, let me say this. When we read this, and this is the way I always read it, I always read, okay, you're in your faith, the testing of your faith. I would think, oh, okay, yeah, I have my health problem. Uh, I'm going to have a money problem. Uh, you know, I have some personal huge crisis situation. Okay, great, great. Yes, you might think that. But can we think really contextually here about the book of James? And those aren't the issues that he's directly dealing with. He's not like, oh, God, yeah, I want you to test my faith. Oh, man, all of a sudden I'm going to get really sick or somebody I love is going to get really sick. No, 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 no. That doesn't happen in James. The test that we are talking about here specifically in James is a culture shock test. 
They're gone out into a culture that's vastly different from them and they're struggling and they're going in two extremes and James is trying to bring them back to something. This is the case I hope to make here, all right? So, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says his words, right? This is James. He draws on Jesus' teachings all the time, Matthew 5, 13. Think about salt for a second, everybody. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but... If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Well, it can't. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So here they are. They've been like salt, just gone out there. Right? They're out there all over the place, just scattered. First chapter, verse number one is what he says. And what happens? So here's the tendency. Here's tendency number one. Okay? We, go, we tend as human beings to go one of two ways, and this is what James is confronting them on and this is what's testing them okay you kind of isolate in other words if you're like salt you kind of like pile up all in one place like you isolate from all the different culture around you or whatever you think all the impurities around you and you bring it all the salt together now who would like to eat a piece of food of any substance where like you put all the salt like in one concentrated location it'd be shocking Okay? So you can isolate. You can shock. Okay, well, we're going to shock this culture with how pure we are and how impure they are. And James is saying, no, don't do that. Don't go to the extreme of shocking it. Okay? But don't go to the other extreme of adopting it, immersing yourself in that culture. Like, okay, well, I understood that, work, that worked in Jerusalem. Like, Jesus' way worked in Jerusalem. I, I can understand that because there was a base that people, we had like a something common that we believed in the Bible. and all that. Okay, that'll work there, but it's not going to work here. It'll work in Jerusalem. It's not going to work in Rome. It's not going to work in Corinth, right? That'll work down in the Bible Belt, right? But, we, you know, we're, 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 we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, right? It's not going to work in Washington, D.C., right? This is what they're dealing with. How do you take this situation where the culture has shocked it? Do you either just isolate? Hey, man, let's get everybody together who does. Let's get the few of us together all believe. And let's just like pile up in one location and we'll just shock the world. We'll just show them how pure we are and how impure they are. And he says, no, don't do that. Okay, well, let's go to the other extreme. Let's go over here and let's like adopt it because it's not going to work. So when he says, if you keep reading, I encourage you to read. Read these five chapters over the next seven weeks. Right? Read them over and over and over and over and over again. They're incredible. But he goes from talking about maturing their faith, all of a sudden he says, wisdom. Where's that coming from, James? Oh, God will give you wisdom. And then he says, then he says, but listen, if you pray for wisdom and you doubt it, you're a double-minded person. You shouldn't even bother praying at all. Like, what? Where did that come from out of left field? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. If you understand the context of what he's writing, and these people have been shocked by culture, maybe some of you have come to D.C. and you've been shocked by culture. Maybe, maybe I don't know, All right? You're shocked by culture. Like, okay, I get it. It can work back home, but it won't work in D.C. I've got to adopt kind of non-Christ-like values and beliefs and behavior here in D.C. This is what they're struggling with in order to kind of fit in, because it's, it's not, that's not, that's not going to work here. And it'll work back in Jerusalem, but it's not going to work here. And he said, no, 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 it'll work. You're being double-minded. You're praying for God to give you wisdom to how to navigate the culture shock that you're in the middle of, but the whole time you're like, it'll never work here. All I got to do is maybe I get get back home. I get it back to Jerusalem, and maybe one day I'll be able to return there, and everything will be great where I can be all clumped together like a big pile of salt. Is that making sense? Isolate, immerse, or you can influence. And this is what he's after. He wanted them to hold on to their belief that Jesus Christ's way will work, 
without adopting it, but without shocking it at the same time. And so he says things like this. He said, look, this is amazing. He says, in this culture that you're in, be slow to speak and quick to listen. What? what? Now, why, everybody, would I be slow to speak and quick to listen and, and, and slow, he says, to become angry. Why would I do that when I'm surrounded by people that I don't believe the things they believe in? I don't believe the practices they... I don't... Like, they're just totally out of sync. Of course, I should stand up and say, if I'm really a mature Christian, I should stand up and say, you're... What? Wrong. And he says, don't do that. Instead, I want you to walk in to a culture that's vastly different from you, prayerful, right? Believing what you believe, okay? And Listen. Like God gave you two ears, one mouth, twice as much listening as speaking. How is that going to work? Is that possible to work? Could that possibly work? And so this is what he's challenging them with. Can you do that? Here's the real question. Do you have enough faith to believe that the power of Christ influencing people's hearts can change the situation? Or will you do it in your own power? Or will you just adopt the culture and the way. I mean, that's really what's going on here in the beginning. And here it is. So here's the one thing I'd love for you to write down. So one fill in the blank that I have, okay? A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Te- James is saying we're going to... Te- culture is testing your faith. One of the reasons that we kind of lump together, clump together is salt. It's like we're afraid you know, we've got to make this strong statement. Or, man, if I start interacting with everybody out there and I kind of get all over, scattered all over the place, man, I'm not sure what my beliefs will be. Right? The, the, the other extreme is, like I said, we begin to adopt it. Well, it just won't work. It won't, it won't work here. And he's saying a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And as you've been scattered everywhere into this culture, it's very different we're going to figure out the genuineness, as Peter says in 1 Peter. We studied 1 Peter last month, right? The genuineness of faith through all these testings comes, pure as, comes forth as pure gold. Listen, we test things that we want to know, right? We, so none of us would buy a car that hasn't been tested. Like, yes, uh, I'll take my family of four, put my little babies in the back. Oh, you never crash tested? Oh, that's okay. It'll be all right. right? Things that are important to us, we test them. We want to make sure that under stress, they work. And they were being tested by culture for the next seven weeks. James, in a very intensely practical way, is going to directly speak to Christians in a culture very different from theirs. And he say, I'm going to help you test your faith so it can become mature and strong and make a major influence in the world. How does he do that? Well, we'll get into this in much greater detail, but let me give you a couple highlights. Authority. Where's your real authority come from? He talks about this. We'll we'll get into this in the next few weeks. Uh, Do you ignore justice and play favorites? I love this one. Is your doctrine alive, but your faith dead? (laughs) He says to them, he says, you believe in one God. Remember, now, now they're in a culture where there's all kinds of gods. All right. And they're like, we believe in one God. That's how they felt in this culture. Where there was a, we believe in one God. And he's like, good. Golf clap. Good for you. The demons believe the same thing. How do you feel now? Right? He challenges them on that. Okay? He talks about their tongue. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have a great time when we get to the tongue. And when Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the church people, 
mouth speaks, right? When you go to the doctor, he says what? Stick out your tongue because he can see what's happening on the inside of you by what's happening on your tongue. The Bible says everything that we speak. Right? He's, record, he's chronicling it, and we're going to be held accountable for every word we speak. Do you want that? You think about that? Oh, my gosh. I need something to transform my heart so my, my tongue is transformed. He gets intensely proud. He talks about money. All of these things he talks about in a society where they're being shocked by culture. And here's a really important question to think about. Ready? Here we go. Is Jesus Christ changing the world, influencing the world, as the book of Acts says, like he's flipping it upside down so it's right side up again? How is he doing that? Is he doing that by A, challenging non-believers, confronting non-believers? Is that his plan? Or is his plan to challenge the believers so that their faith is strong and mature? Well, for James, it's really clear. The target is, the issue is, is to test and to challenge people who believe that in the culture they are that is so vastly different that they can be people who are not shockers or adopters but influencers for Jesus Christ because they fully believe in the power of Christ. Can you hang on to that? This is what James is really after. Now, I want to share a story uh, with you. Hopefully it will bring some of this into a little bit of context. This happened to me uh, quite some time ago. Uh, I was uh, contacted by somebody who, who was coming to Grace. I knew this person, and they were involved. Uh, they were serving. They were doing a lot of things, and they were totally a church person. So as many of you know, if you've been here for a while, we're a church for people who don't go to church, and we have a very large percentage, as much as 40% of the people that are in the room uh, at any given time here who self-classify as a non-church goer. So w- we have a lot of church and non-church. We have a lot of church people who've been burned and bored by church and hurt by church, and, and so they're not really sure where they stand, or people who've never been to church and ever in their life. Well, this guy was not in that category. He was all in, full in, all on for Jesus Christ. He's into the Bible. He's into church, and I knew that about him, okay? So with all that context in mind, he says, hey, I'm leaving the church. And I said, okay. Um, so I went down the normal routes. I knew it, so, you know, I knew where to go immediately. Okay, well, you know, is there like the Bible? Oh, oh no, 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 no. It's really clear. You really believe in the Bible. I mean, it's okay. All right, good. Jesus? Oh, no, no, no. That's really clear. I was like, hmm, this is interesting because this wasn't following the normal path for me. <laughs> All right? It confused me. So I said, well, well, what is it? And then he said one word that shocked me comfort. Comfort. Uh, the Christians going to grace, and that's Q. That's, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, I immediately knew what he meant when he said that. That means he's going around talking to other people. Pastors know this immediately. Little phrases like, oh, okay, gotcha. Other people at grace, the Christians at grace, they want more comfort. So I knew that he was using his tongue to talk to other people. <laughs> okay? And, but the thing that shocked me the most was this comfort thing. I said, Wow. And so I said, can you explain that? He says, I can't really. But we kept going back and forth. This is really important. This has a lot to do with James. And so we talked for at least an hour about this. And I hung up the phone. It's like God wouldn't let me forget the conversation. Comfort. Comfort. I want more comfort. And it dawned on me. It took four or five months. It took four. I was like, God, what does that mean? And I'm studying the book of James. I'm praying about it. Right. All this all together. He was very happy. This person was very happy, right, to sit in a church that challenged non-Christians, that tested non-Christians or even lukewarm Christians, but he was not comfortable with a church that was challenging, as James is doing here, challenging Christians, pushing Christians. And so we have a different, totally different viewpoint. James, managing expectations here, everybody, just as the outset. 
of this series, just so we all know where we're going. I'm going to tell you, after reading this book probably 50 times now, what James is doing is he's challenging Christians. His belief, his brother's belief, Jesus Christ is, is that the way to turn the world upside down, right side up, is to challenge Christians in maturing faith. And so I want us to know this up front so that we're not like, what is, what's, what's going on here? This is what he's doing. We have a gentleman in our neighborhood. He's a lawyer. He's a retired lawyer. And we have tons of kids in our neighborhood. And every time we have, well, sometimes we have these big gatherings and kids around and the kids are getting ready for a big party where he says, okay, kids, stop. I want to manage your expectations, right? And I kind of felt like that when I was reading and studying the opening lines of James. He wants to manage our expectations right up front. He is challenging those who feel they are mature Christians because he believes that that is the hope of the world, that they would be challenged in their faith, right? To not be shockers or adopters, but to trust the process, to be patient with the process, that the power of God's word, not the strength of our voice, not our own personal might, would transform people's lives. Do we really believe that? Do we believe what Paul says in Romans 1.16? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. If you are a spiritually mature Christian, if that's you today, do you really believe in that? Because they were having a hard time believing that. Like, we're going to do it by might or we're going to do it by adoption, but they could not be patient with the process. And that's why he talks so much in chapter 1 about patience. Patience, everybody, is a mark of what? Maturity. Hey, you say to a little baby, hey, could you, you know, five seconds from now I'm going to get you the milk, right? And the baby says, you got two seconds to get me that milk or I'm going to unload on you, right? But that's what babies do. But a mark of maturity is the ability to be able to be patient. And he's saying, if you are patient with the process because you believe, because you trust in the power of the gospel, right? If you believe that, you can influence this culture my way, the Christ way. And did it work? It did work. The Roman Empire set its sights against Christianity to take it down. And here you have this little group of people who come along and believe in the power of Christ and his way of doing things, fighting off shocking, fighting off adopting, saying we're going to influence it. And they, with that seed of power of truth, transformed that Roman Empire when it had set its sights on bringing it down and it changed some of the most terrible practices in the Roman Empire. Have you ever seen in your life with your own eyes or like a, a, a tree coming up out of the ground like spit splits a big rock? You ever seen that happen? Anybody ever seen that happen? Isn't that incredible? It started with this little tiny seed and it came up and it split this mammoth rock. What is, the, what is the word of God called? It's called a seed. What's the gospel called? It's called a seed. So what happens here as an influencer, we don't, we're not planting dynamite in the ground. But we're not, also, we're not planting a rock in the ground that's dead. But we're patient with the process, believing in Jesus Christ, and that's what he's challenged with. It will work. Will you stay true to that? Can you, is your faith strong enough to stay true to the beliefs in Jesus Christ? while being scattered into culture without shocking it or adopting it, but saying, I'm going to, is, your faith, is your faith strong enough to be tested? And this is his challenge before us. Okay, let me conclude by saying this. I, I benefited greatly by growing up in a spiritually adulted church. And I got to tell you, it, it influenced me in some really great ways all the way to this day. So 
What I experienced as a child growing up in a church that was spiritually mature has impacted me in a major way today. I'm just going to give you a couple, a couple highlights of how that has done that for me, all right? It taught me the value of all people, that all people have intrinsic worth, that we are all created in the image of God. doesn't matter what race, religion, doesn't matter what position you are in life. I was taught that everybody had intrinsic value because we were all created in the image of God and everybody was due respect and honor because of that. that that's, I, I learned that in the church I, I grew up in. I, I learned it was important to say I'm sorry. I learned it was important for me to repent. And it was hard to do. Oh my gosh, every time I have to say I'm sorry to Krista, it's hard to do. It's like killing me. But I learned that as a little kid growing up in church, it was important for me to repent, to acknowledge, to take ownership, to say I'm sorry. I learned that it was important to be honest and to love justice and mercy and the truth all at once. I learned that in church. I learned that it was important to be patient, kind, courageous, and strong. I learned this as a teenager growing up in church, that I should treat all young women not as objects for me to use, but where they were... As a matter of fact, my church said, you know, you should... Like your sister. You need to respect young women. Just so you know, in case you don't know, in case you're new to Washington, D.C., or you're new to culture or whatever, that's not the message that always goes out, particularly with teenage boys, just so you know. And I was taught in a very countercultural way in this spiritually adulted church I grew up at, you better, man, you better treat young women with honor and respect. I, I, taught, I was taught that at church. I was taught to be generous in my money at a young age. I remember my grandmother, every time the plate would come by, we don't pass the plate here, but the church would, would pass them, and she would, she would give me money. She would give me her money so I could give the money, but I, I got it. I was taught I should be generous. I was taught that I should help. Maybe some of you saw the USA Today article this past week, right? The headline on it was this. I thought this was fantastic. Faith groups provide the bulk of disaster recovery in coordination with FEMA. Faith groups, right? Faith. And then it lists all these, all these Christian churches and all these Christian ministries that have had such a huge, huge... They, do, they, says, they said it, the bulk. One of the churches that they highlighted is a church that we actually know. We were down in Guatemala with this church a couple years ago working. It was great to see. The take. That's the kind of stuff I learned in the church I grew up in. My first mission trip, I was seven years old. I went to Haiti. Little man, little tiny, I, my hair was just like white, right? I think they called it a towhead or something. I don't understand why toe. That doesn't make sense. It's a stupid sounding thing, but right. There I was, you know, in Haiti, in the middle of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. We, we built this, we built a community center that doubled as a distribution center, that doubled as a storm shelter, that doubled as a church. I learned at the age of seven because that impact on my life. Hey, everybody, this is, this is what I've learned, right? Jesus made a priority out of kids to influence kids at a young... I've also learned this. I've read the studies for over 20 years. Any church that truly is spiritually mature, any church that truly spiritually mature always prioritizes children. Any church that truly spiritually has a strong children's ministry, period, blank. It's right out there. Why? Because children are a priority of Jesus. And we want... Wouldn't you... Wouldn't... Some of us did not grow up in the best homes, right? Some of the, Wouldn't you have loved to grow up in a home where people watched their tongue? Wouldn't you have loved to grow up at home where people were patient, not angry, and throwing things or saying things or doing things, right, or passive-aggressive? Wouldn't you have loved to grow up at home where, where it was really adult? Now, I know some of you did, and some of us didn't, okay? But wouldn't it be great? Well, wouldn't it be great if here at Grace Community Church we embedded that culture and that right here where we did that, where we influenced adults and we influenced children that way with what we see in the Bible with the Word of God? That's 
what I'm saying. This is what James is saying. And I had the opportunity to grow up in a church like that. So I want to close uh, with something that's really important. I want you to, don't want you to tune me off because I'm getting ready to bring our, our children's pastor out here. Don't, don't turn me off. Particularly if, you're, if you consider yourself a spiritually mature Christian, you should like tune in really big time right now because this is something that's a priority to Jesus. And if you're a spiritually mature Christian, it's got to be a priority to you. This is really important. We'll tell you about how we're influencing our kids, and we want to ask you to pray about it. So everybody, uh, please, uh, would you help me welcome Ashley Begg, our children's pastor. <laughs> Ashley is going to talk to us about the mission and the values of Graceland Ministry. Good morning. So Graceland's mission statement is to be a church that children love to attend. Graceland, um, we, have, we have Graceland for zero to sixth graders um, each and every Sunday. Um, it is a ton of fun. And we really hope that by being a church that children love to attend, kids come and they make memories here. They make friends. They actually want to come back week after week because they're having a great time. And that they would actually ultimately invite a friend as well to come with them. So I have five words that describe Graceland, our values. Um, the first two are safe and clean. Those are super important that kids walk in to a safe and clean environment each and every week. And if you just had a little one recently, or if you're expecting one in the near or distant future, we'd love to invite you to an upcoming event. It's called Gateway to Graceland. We'll have it next Sunday, September 24th. It will be at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. here at, at um, Arlington, and we'll meet in the lobby. And at West Falls Church, we'll do one at 10.30 a.m. in the family room there as well. So come hear, an, uh, hear a little bit about Grayson, how we make it sure that it's safe and clean every week. Um, we'll give you a tour as well, answer your questions, and give you free breakfast. Seriously, free food. This is important. <laughs> So the, the third word for Graceland is fun. Graceland, we want it to be an absolute blast each and every week. So we have interactive Bible stories. We have lots of fun crafts and games. Everything is prepared ahead of time for the kids. And so our teachers walk into the classroom and just have a ton of fun. We really want to make memories with our kids on Sunday mornings. The fourth word is loving. We want every child who walks into Graceland to feel like we're a family away from home for them, that they feel like it's, it's a safe place where they can talk with us and confide in us. Um, we know their names. We try to remember facts about them. We want them to feel like they belong and they're part of something here at Graceland. And finally, the last word, educational. We do teach Bible stories, and, and we want to introduce kids to the Bible and, and realizing that it's not just a collection of stories, but it's actually part of one big story, the big God story that God loves us. And so from our tiniest babies that we get to cuddle and snuggle with, to our toddlers that we play with, to our energetic preschoolers who really, really want to play with you, to our elementary schoolers who have lots of questions, are very curious, and can't wait to tell you about their school week, to our fifth and sixth graders who admittedly are probably too cool for me. It's true. But we, we still like to hang out with them and talk, too, so before they all go off to the youth group. Um, but but for, for all of those age groups, we, we have lots of fun um, talking about the Bible. And, and ultimately, we hope at the end of every Sunday that our kids walk out of Graceland, which is a little bit more of a dusting of Jesus on them. And, and we know that we're planting these seeds in kids. We don't always know how long it'll take to grow. 
Who knows? It could be a long time. It could be a short time. They might come back to it later. But ultimately, we know that what we're doing is so important because we can make an impact on kids' lives in Graceland. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, we average 175 kids in Graceland between Arlington and West Falls Church. The children's population in this area, in this county, but also all over this area is growing exponentially. I give you a good visual on that. You can look right out the doors. When you walk out the lobby, look out there. There you get 750 new kids at elementary school right here in our beloved parking lot. That's why we're parking down over there. So the kids' population is growing uh, immensely. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can see uh, Ashley at the table out in the lobby. But I want to say this, okay? You don't have to work with kids. You can work with kids or for kids. But the one thing that everybody should do if they're a spiritually mature Christian, right, is we should be praying. We should be praying for our kids to, in, to influence our kids. Here's a stat I just heard this past week. They found that churches that are really serious, like spiritually mature people, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who really want to have an influence on other people, who are serious about influence, not being shockers or adopters, but being influencers for Christ because they trust the power of the gospel, they have a list of names of people. That, they, they, actually, it's a list. Do you have a list? Do you have a list of names you're praying for? Do you have, a, like, you know, family, friends, coworkers to come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, because people who are, they have a list. I want to encourage you to, to, to have a list. And to add to that list, Graceland. There are so many kids coming into this community. We have 175. We should double that number. We really should. And I think if we pray about it, we would, because you know what? They're out there. They're out there. And we would like to see Jesus Christ influence their life in just a, in a really special and powerful way. So I want to encourage you to do that. Keep a list and pray and believe in the power of the process, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform people's lives. Now I want to show you that we believe in this, making a priority here at Grace. So we put our money where our mouth is. Do you know who was voted the number one, te- the one, number one of all teachers, all teachers, and Arlington, Arlington County puts a huge emphasis on education, right? You know who 2016 number one teacher was in Arlington County? I'm going to show you who they are. Come right on out. Here they are. This is the number one teacher. Uh, our very own. Our, our very own Mariana voted 2016 number one teacher and our, has been on our staff for four years. So we only go out and get the best. Right, Mariana? Right? Right? And Mariana is doing her best to contribute to children's growth here as well. Okay? So, you know, way to go. We're thrilled about Graceland, what it's doing. It's a priority to Jesus. It's going to be a priority to us because that's just, that's just, so we're going to, we're going to say a prayer and then Christian is going to teach us a song based on James uh, chapter one. And I want to say, if you're a guest here today, we do Grace in Five right over there. We sit there. I'd love to meet you over there and tell you everything you need to know about this church in five minutes or less. Here's my closing thought to get us ready for these next seven weeks in the book of James. What would happen if a large group of people said to Jesus, right, mature my faith, test me. These next seven weeks, grow me and mature me. What would happen if a large group of people, like in this room right now, said, go ahead, go ahead, test me. Remember, we're not talking specifically about all of a sudden you're saying, oh, God, strike me with some illness, right? Remember? Remember? Remember, that's not what it's about. 
what they were experiencing was a test of culture. Did they really believe in the power of the gospel? What if a large group of us said that? And we allowed Christ to build us up and see the difference. They made a difference in a powerful, wonderful way that has affected all of us, believers and non-believers. It is affected it has affected our world to this day. And we'll be bringing that up in the next few weeks, but what would happen if we said, okay, go ahead, grow me up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for all the wonderful people that are in this room. I thank you, God, that you are at work in our world. I'm thankful, God, that we can place our trust in you, that we can look back in history and we can see when people trusted in the power of your gospel, they didn't have to shock, they didn't have to adopt, but instead, Lord, they believed that you could influence, that you could plant a seed of the gospel in people's hearts and lives and see inner transformation or an organic transformation in our lives. Lord, help us to trust you enough to pray that prayer this morning, that you would mature our faith in you. Lord, bless Graceland and just a major way. Bless all the kids who live in this county and all around this region. God, they're special, special, special in your sight. God, bless and protect them and let them be raised in environments that are healthy for them. They've been created in your image and they're valuable to you, so they should be valuable to us. God, I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.